this divine feminine never went anywhere. Like she never really left, you know, we just you. Yes. lost sight of her. And now how lucky are we that we live in a time when we can see her and when it's safe for us to talk about her and bring her back to the forefront. And so now what's called upon for us is to have the courage to do it, you know, to step out of that mm -hmm. linear patriarchal narrative and start to embrace her and bring her forward in ways that work for us. In today's busy world, how can we find the inspiration, knowledge, and energy to live a healthy and empowered life? If we balance and harmonize our mind, exercise our body, live according to the laws of nature, and connect to spirit, can we find a way to heal, become our authentic self, and live our purpose with love? I am your hostess, Amy Fournier, and welcome back to Awakening Aphrodite. Welcome back to Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. This show is about helping you to be healthy and fit in mind, body, and spirit, as well as harmonize your masculine and feminine energy, tap into your intuition, your true source of power, and awaken your authentic self. Are you interested in walking the path of the sacred divine feminine? Maybe you'd like to know a little bit more about the history of women and our spiritual histories and the difference between history and herstory. <laughs> a little play on words. So history, H-I-S as in his story, or herstory as in H-E-R-S, etc. Her story. You know, there's a difference. Maybe you never thought about that, but hmm, there's a thought for you. You're going to love today's guest because today's guest is Liz Kelly. She is basically an expert on the sacred feminine path and is walking it herself as we speak. I just love her bringing her unique, special perspective on this topic. Um, and so much so, in fact, she's been on the show before. <laughs> she's a repeat guest because she just came out with a brand new book called Home to Her, Walking the Transformative Path of the Sacred Feminine. So, of course, I had to have her back on the show because this is a huge part of what my show is all about and helping us understand ourselves better by reclaiming all of who we are. And we can't do that without reclaiming our sacred feminine selves and that essence that we have inside of us. So if you want to check out Liz's first appearance on the show, you might want to check out episode 70, which is about connecting to your sacred feminine through indigenous wisdom and her story, helping transcend from a traditional masculine career and a feminine calling. Episode 70 was the first appearance of Liz on the show. We give a lot of her backstory there as well, so you might want to check that out to find out more. So in this episode, we talk about surrender and trust versus the push. And there's a lot of talk about surrender these days, but how can we do it without feeling like we're giving up and being passive, which is a terrible feeling. We talk about the moon cycle and prayer practices, as well as the archetype of the muse and calling things in and things showing up. The fascinating story of how Liz's book came to be and walking the transformative path of the sacred feminine and all that that requires and all that that entails. 
We also talk about how important it is to feed the feminine first, to quote Liz, which I love. It's a huge takeaway for me. I put it on a sticky note. Feed the feminine first, Amy. (laughs) Something to remind myself of. And I asked Liz, you know, when we connect to our soul and our, our, our spiritual essence, and we feel like, first of all, how do we receive the answers? And what would you say to someone who's afraid that they're kind of making it up? Like, how do we know the answers that you think you're getting are really the answers from your soul as opposed to like your imagination or making it up? It's a common question that I get a lot. And uh, I wanted to hear Liz's perspective on it. And I think she gives a great answer. And we talk about how the sacred feminine is not the same for everyone. And just like everything in life, right? We have to customize it. We have to understand how our unique requirements and uh, the sacred feminine is no different. And lastly, Liz's tips to start walking the path of the sacred feminine yourself. And I'll give you a little hint. You might want to start paying attention to your heart's desires. Yes. All right, my friends, let's get cozy for this one. I can't wait to hear what you think about it. And if you want to support me, the best way to do so is to subscribe and, oh my gosh, leave a review. That would It only takes seconds, but it just does wonders for me and the show. And it's, uh, it's just much appreciated if you would take that moment to do that. Check out my favorite products on my website, on my e-store at amyfornier.com, and jump on my newsletter list which I sent out twice a month with uh, just kind of what I'm up to or cool stuff I'm coming across. And it's a great way for us to stay connected. And it's free, so you can join my email list. I'd love to have you there. Okay, let's now join Liz Kelly. Welcome back to the show, Liz. Thank you so much for having me back, Amy. It's awesome to be with you again. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what. A huge, huge congratulations to you. You just went through a major creative birth. Your book is now live and in the world on your first appearance on my show back on episode 70 that I referred to in the introduction, which was an epic show. It really gave a lot of your history and the foundation of your work studying women's history and women's uh, women's empowerment, really the sacred feminine and all of us and her story and how we can tap into our feminine calling. Great episode number 70, but we had referenced your book that was forthcoming. And now here we are circling back at the time where that baby is out in the world. So how does it feel now that you're a new mama? Oh my gosh. It's, um, it's really interesting. So unlike, you know, giving birth to my live children, right? Like my human children <laughs> who need a lot of care and attention after they're born. Um, it's, it's, there's a lot of energy kind of leading up to a book launch. And then once the book is out in the world, it, you know, it still needs to be nurtured. And I, I want to talk about it and all that. And it's also taking on a life of its own. So that is really interesting to see. And it's kind of a dance, you know, with this sacred feminine feminine energy that I even talk about in the book, which is, um, not having to work so hard, you know, like, ah, there was all the work in writing it and bringing it forward. And now there's this kind of practice of radical trust and, and, uh, seeing that the book is going to go where it's going to go, that it's going to, you know, she exists on her own now. So that's pretty, it's pretty cool to see and to experience. That's just so interesting because I have a lot of authors on the show and, um, you know, a lot of people are kind of, especially with the post 
post-pandemic situation where people in the lockdown and they got into reading books or starting books and writing books. So I've never had a new author describe it in that way, that they feel like an interesting choice of words, that it takes on took on a life of its own. It's taken on a life of its own. I'm just curious, like, what, what does that mean? Like, what does that look like to you, taking on a life of its own? Well, when I talked to my publisher about... Um, promotional activities and things. She, uh, you know, God is bless her, said to me, the first thing she said to me is, look, if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. Your book will, it's going to have a life of its own. It will, um, you know, we, we've done the hard work. We will get it out. It will find its people. People will recommend it to other people. And, you know, she will just start to find her own path in the world. So you focus on, you know, in terms of self-care and like what's going to feel really joyful for you to do and trust that the book will find who she needs to go to. And that's in no way like, oh, I'm just going to lean back and eat bonbons and like my work is done. But, but that was so, it was such a wonderful piece of advice that she gave me. And so um, it's, it's given me the space to think about what do I want to do to support this book? I love being in conversation with people about it, like you and, and other people. So that was a given. Um, but it was just also an invitation into into trust that I'm not doing this alone. And by that, I don't just mean my publisher. I mean, um, you know, I would refer to it as the divine mother, but you can call it whatever you want. The universe, like God, I don't know, great spirit, whatever your term is that we're not doing it alone. And um, that is not always easy, right? Like I can easily slip into the comparison game and look at somebody else who's publishing a book and like, oh no, do they have more followers or you know, sold more copies or whatever. Um, but when it comes down to it, it feels like I'm practicing what I preach in the book, which is to trust that we are not alone, that this is this happened for a reason and it will continue to spiral out in the world in ways that I can't know and I don't have to control. What a plugged in publisher for that kind of comment is like, wow. I mean, that is truly spoken from the divine feminine voice. You know, oh, yeah. that type of comment is great. I mean, I think that's just, I'm surprised in it, but it's wonderful, you know, plus it takes the pressure off you, I'm sure. Oh yeah. She's wonderful. Well, and the publisher is Womancraft Publishing and they, uh, they publish life-changing books by women and mm -hmm. for women. And um, yeah. And that was one of the reasons why I really wanted to work with her. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you're basically describing, you know, the feminine essence qualities of, you know, surrender and trust and letting go and all that stuff. And I like how you really differentiated that it didn't mean you're just laying around. I think you said eating bonbons or whatever, because this comes up a lot because, you know, that's a big, big part of my show is, you know, that, that, that dance between the push and the pull and the masculine, and the feminine, and, you know, having wisdom and discretion to know you know, when to lean into one more than the other. But I like how you differentiated uh, that, yes, you're letting go and surrendering, um, but it doesn't mean you're not doing anything. So how does that feel for you to kind of, is it scary for you to let go and trust? Are you feel, do you feel more inclined to be like, okay, maybe I should just be reaching out to podcasters and get on shows? Like, because I just have to admit, for me, I still struggle with that real, you know, being an ambitious woman and, and always used to forcing stuff, which is part of my problem. But, you know, I will admit that I probably would be inclined to be a little more proactive and not like, what's, what's it look like for you? Paint that picture for me and the other masculine oriented women on the show. Yes. Um, 
And I, I so resonate with what you said, Amy, that's my whole business career was like that, you know, like if it okay. is to be, it is up to me. So I've got to just, yes. you know, push the river, push the river, never take a break. Yes. Um, so this has been a really interesting process in trusting that energetic flow. And so I love that you use the word dance because that feels like exactly what it is. And so what I'm noticing is that my energy is very uh, cyclical in general. Like there are days when it is just flowing, 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 and I've got so much of it. And um, that could be related to what's happening seasonally, seasonally. It could be related to what's happening to me and my own personal rhythms and cycles. Um, you know, could be whether or not I got a great night of sleep, any of those things. And when the energy is there, um, it feels like, okay, I capitalize on it. Like the ideas are really present. Um, I'll, you know, like I, and I don't, I don't really know when and how it's going to happen, but I will show up in my office at my desk and suddenly have 12 ideas for things that would feel joyful for me and how to um, help share the message of the book and who I can talk to and how I can get it out there. And so I, I try to run with that energy. And then when it's not there, the trick is trusting that it's okay that it's not there, you know, like okay. mm -hmm. to kind of ride the ebbs and, and flows of that. Um, and also trust, I'm sure, I, I'm guessing you probably are setting intentions with the moon, perhaps, or things like that. Yeah, is that part of your practice? Yeah, and so mine too. And um, and I have a prayer practice that, that goes along with the new moon intention setting. And so um, while that might not seem very active, like those daily prayers, uh, show, show me what to do, help me do this thing that I want to do in the world, uh, I consider that action too, even if I'm not... And then I pay attention, right? Like what's, what's showing up in my field. I ask for help and how to get this, the word out about this book. And then someone shows up and says, Hey, you should check this out. Or, Hey, I'd like to help you set up this event. Okay. Now I follow that trail. So it is really kind of like a, a dance and slowing down enough to pay attention to the signs and the symbols and the help that I think is, is all around us. And nothing in our culture tells us we should do it this way. So it is really, really hard to do sometimes. That's just so brilliant. You just hit the nail on the head so much, Liz. The process of, you know, asking for help, getting clear on your intentions and your desires, but then really paying attention. That's such a huge thing is be observant. Be, don't be so busy and rushing. You know, the feminine is, slows down, you know, and is notices things. It's like right in front of you so often. And I'll add to the, a piece of being open to however that information, message, answer to prayer, whatever you want to call it, is received, you know, or the, the, the vehicle in which it's delivered, you know, you really got to really be open to, it might be in a way you didn't expect, you know, but often, and sometimes it's not immediate either. It doesn't mean it's going to happen like in the next hour since you <laughs> made the intention, you know, it might be the next day, but just kind of being conscious, being aware is, is critical. Yes. Yes, totally. Yeah. I love it. That, that, that's a great example, too, because then you'd get an, an offer or something. Is Oh, the, okay, I guess I got to go this way. And then you're checking in with how it feels in your body, I would imagine. Like, does that lift my energy up, you know? Yes. And even in the process of writing the book and getting it to the publication point, it was very similar to that, too. You know, there would be, it was like paying attention to the signs and the symbols and things mm -hmm. that would be put in my path. Um, mm -hmm. So I kind of got to practice it with the actual writing of the book and and walking up to the publication of it too. 
Yes, you actually mentioned that, that the, the process of writing the book was an actual uh, walk along the path of the feminine in itself. Uh, so you must have learned something about that transformational process by writing the book more than you already knew before. Do you want to expand on that? Because you knew a lot before. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, the, the, I mean, it, it was really a combination. It's what we're talking about. It's a combination of doing the work, like showing up and doing the work, but also trusting the signs and the signals and the, you know, and, and the divine timing. But um, I, when I sold my, I had a, I had a consulting business um, that I sold several years ago. And almost immediately I tried really hard to figure out what I was going to do next because it was so uncomfortable to be in the unknown. You know, I had just, I felt like I had just detonated my entire identity. So I immediately mm -hmm. wanted to just be like, who am I going to be next? Who am I going to be next? And, um, you know, within days of selling my company, I woke up one morning with a very clear message in my head and it was like a voice and it said, make any decisions that you want, but know that everything is going to change in seven months. And I thought, what a, what a strange time frame, seven months. Uh, but I wrote it down in my journal and then I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to go on and I'm going to do whatever I, I'm going to do, which for me meant taking some time to recover um, from the sale of that business. It was very stressful for me and uh, studying yoga and doing some things like that. And then one morning, again, I, I woke up really early and I had this very clear thought that I needed to write a book about this subject, the sacred feminine. And I did not know enough at that point to write a book. I mean, just to be honest, I had just started down this path of researching and understanding, but it was very informal. Yeah. But I was getting this idea of a flow that I needed. You know, I, I had like chapters and I had sections. I had the whole thing kind of coming in. So I got up, I grabbed my journal and, you know, I'm going to write it all down. And it flipped open to the page that I had written down this seven month message. And I had written that down on, I think it was October 8th. And the day, that day was May 6th. So it was almost seven months to the day, um, which was just wild to me. And so I started researching the book at that point. And I need to say that I got no message on when I was going to finish that book or what the book, even like the structure changed probably 10 times over. It didn't stay with that because I didn't know what I was doing. But I started writing my personal story. I started researching. I'd write more of my story. I'd research more. And it started coming together. And then I started shopping it around and I actually sent it to the publisher who did end up publishing it. And she gave me the most kind rejection letter I've ever received. You know, if you're a first time author, you want to be let down really easy because it's your baby. And uh, she said, you know, this isn't ready um, or I'm not, you know, it's just not quite there. I can't tell you why, but it's a no for me. And so then I shopped it around a few more places and I didn't get any, any interest in it. And then, um, when COVID hit, I just kind of put the whole thing aside. Like I was like, you know what, maybe this isn't going to go anywhere. And my family and I ended up moving into an RV. Uh, we decided to move and leave our home in California and move um, across the country to the East Coast. And um, so I moved into an RV. I'm homeschooling my two kids with my partner, my husband, and um, we're, we're, we're on the road all the time. We're living in this tiny space. So I'm like, hey, maybe I'm just done. Maybe, I'm, maybe I just needed to write the book and it, nobody needed to see it. Maybe that was it. And, uh, and, and then I started having dreams. And so I'm kind of trying to paint the picture here, right? Of like, you do the work, but then like there's the messages. So I started having dreams and 
in one dream, uh, I met up with a friend of mine who's an author and I was so excited to see him and we were catching up and talking about all the things in his book. And so I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then the next night I had a dream that a nun named Bernadette came to me. She's kind of like a mother superior figure and told me that I was to build a church to the divine feminine. And it was supposed to look like a church in that it wasn't, it was supposed to be kind of mainstream. It was supposed to be something that was accessible to people, but it was definitely a church to the sacred feminine, to the divine mother. And so that felt very, <laughs> that was very loud. Like, no, I don't think you're done with this work. And I, I never took it serious. I never took that literally. Like I need to literally go build a church, but it seemed like a very clear message that I, this was work that I was not yet done with. And then while I was on the road, I was, I was still hosting my podcast, which I still have now about the sacred feminine and my publisher, I had invited her to join me on the show because she publishes a lot of books on this subject. And after our interview, she said to me, um, I don't usually offer this to people, but if you would like to rework the book, I feel like you could go deeper in the history. Um, I will look at it at any time. Like anytime you want to send it to me, send it to me. And so that felt like the universe was literally rolling the red carpet to my feet. You know, like that's, that's felt pretty obvious, but I didn't start working on it right away because we were still in the RV for another six months. And I just was not in the headspace. I didn't have the time to, to work on it. So I waited until we got into our, our house in Virginia. And then I started, and then I started writing again. And, um, yeah, I gave myself the gift of four or five nights at a cottage not too far from my house to jumpstart the project. And again, I, I gave myself the space. I thought, I'm going to hike. I'm going to, you know, meditate. I'm going to reflect and, you know, we'll see what comes. And that's not what happened. I got in that cottage and I just started writing. I wrote for like 10 and 12 hours a day. I could not stop. And and I got the book done. You know, I, I sent the first two chapters to the publisher and she said, it's a yes, keep going. And so then I kept writing and, you know, for the rest of it, I really had to put myself on a schedule. I'm going to write these days. I'm going to write for these hours to get it done when I wanted to get it done. But the whole process was like this dance of divine messages, listening to the divine messages, putting in the time because you can't write a book and just thinking about it. You really do have to create the structure. At least I do. Right. I've got to, I've got to put, you know, I'm going to do it this time. I, I know that I need at least two uninterrupted hours to get anything done. So I had to put that structure around it, but then also like listening to the, to the signs and the messages and following the sort of divine energy flow of it all. And so from that first time that I got that message to the time that the book was published was, I think about seven years. Wow. Oh, wow. I she was wondering that. Wow. Wow. From wow, the wow. time that I got the message of, yeah. of, of seven making decisions in. you want. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was seven years, seven year process. And there's your seven again, which is a spiritual ascent number. Well, and I owned my company for seven years before oh, that. Wow. I know. And then it was a seven year cycle that it took to complete the book. So I've recently started what feels like a new seven year cycle, which who knows what's going to come now, but right. I know. And I, if anybody had asked me, you know, seven years, I would be like, I'm not doing that. Like seven years. It's crazy. I don't want to work on this for that long, but that was, yeah. that was what needed to happen, I guess. 
Hope you're enjoying the show. Do you know anyone that has food allergies or sensitivities or intolerances? Seems like, unfortunately, it's kind of common these days. I'm here with Wade Lightheart from Bioptimizers, my favorite supplement company, to explain how one of their amazing products, which I take every day, P3OM, can actually help with allergies and food sensitivity. Yeah, so when you're looking at a food sensitivity, and of course it correlates into uh eventually develops into allergies and then really significant inflammatory based conditions. So there's different stages. Most of the causes of that are some sort of contaminant protein that is now being attacked by the immune system as an invader. And that means that some undigested protein or some element from an agent got through your gut barrier and into the system and you're having an immune inflammatory response. And so it's a hyper inflammatory response to that product and it continues and usually goes progressively. Now, with the medical field, they'll treat the symptoms of that with various drugs in order to block it. But what you want to look at is potentially addressing the underlying causes. Can you break down that protein that that is causing the inflammation in the first place? And that's done by number one, being on an anti-inflammatory diet and number two, supporting that with the right probiotics. And the most aggressive strain that you can use in combating uh, food sensitivities that lead to those conditions is P3OM, a patented proteolytic probiotic that identifies undigested proteins, gobbles them up, um, kicks out bad guys that produce the toxins when they consume that cause an inflammatory response as well. So it beats down the bad probiotics or the bad bacteria and enhances the growth of good bacteria, travels throughout your whole system and has been demonstrated to survive the gastrointestinal tract. We stack it with the most potent form of prebiotics that allows it to develop and cultivate. So it doubles every 20 minutes in your body and it wipes wow. out those inflammatory agents. I highly recommend people take it uh, before they go to bed. And of course, if they're around any inflammatory agents that trigger them, and if they do that for you know just a couple of months, most people will find uh, very positive responses in their system to using P3OM. I love it. And I always take a bottle when I travel in particular, because you're exposed to all kinds of, you know, strange, scary things when you're traveling out and about and different foods. And if something's cooked properly or whatever, I feel like it's my insurance from my whole system. And, um, and I take it anytime I, if my tummy's upset or I ate something that didn't agree with me and I don't know why or how Wade, but it works for me. We've got, uh, we're undefeated against uh, food poisoning. Uh, we've had literally hundreds of people uh, that we've known personally that have been suffering in, uh, horribly from a food poisoning incident. And I tell them, go grab a bottle of P3M, take a handful of mm -hmm. those tablets, eat it down, and a few hours later, do it again. And usually within 30 minutes, they feel better. And usually within the day, it's corrective. And it never ceases to amaze me and i'm so grateful for that and uh i i think that when people are in those situations they become true believers on yep. the efficacy of it so if you have any stomach issues using them you'll see the benefits i totally agree you can't argue with results you can get yours at a discount by entering amy f10 at checkout that's amy f10 and you won't be disappointed now when you said you you really dug in when you got to your house in, in Virginia and you rented a cabin and you went and wrote four nights a week. 
Did you were you still staying at your house in Virginia and you would just go like to go writing for a few hours a night or were you staying in the cabin? Yeah, I, I went to the cabin. Okay. And so in my um, my divine feminine training, I did a priestess initiation program. Mm -hmm. We moved through 13 different archetypes of the divine feminine. And one of them is the muse. And the muse mm -hmm. is, you know, all that creative energy that can show up. And um, my mentor who led that program had talked about setting a date with the muse. Like you set a time where you're like, I need you to show up. Please come divine mother in the form of the muse mm -hmm. and work with me. I've got this time to do it. So that was my thinking. Like, okay, I'm going to take these four or five days and go to this cabin and not see my family and bring a little bit of food and just like show up, let's show up and see what happens. And she showed up, I mean, she showed up big time. So I would get up in the morning and I would just write. I would write till 10 o'clock at night and then wow. watch some really bad television to unwind because my brain had been working, you know, right, right, and then right. sleep and then get up and do it again. And I, see, I got this, a lot done. That's so fascinating because I have to say too, Liz, and that you know, so many people will call in the muse, if you will, or try to get inspired. And it, it's, it, I've heard it said that, you know, it's not something you can just, feeling inspired isn't like putting on a, an outfit, you know, like it has to kind of be inherent. It has coming from within or something. And, you know, so many people hear about writer's block and all that. Like, it's amazing that you, you, you said you called her in and she came and not only just once but it seemed like continually just kept showing up which is wow what a blessing yes and I don't want to imply that it was easy like I don't want to imply that I just sat down and like I channeled the words because yeah. it's not a channel book I had to work at it but it felt like again that dance of my effort with the divine like I said I want partnerships I drew a card you know, when I started the process from this sacred rebels deck and uh, the card that I drew was go towards the light. And it was all about their divine forces that are here to help you uh, follow them. And, and it came. Yeah. And I don't know if I wrote another book, if it would flow in that way, but that's the way this one came around. And yeah. And again, that was just the jump start because I still had to come back and finish the book with a lot of the elbow grease and the structure and the, okay, like I've got two or three hours that my children aren't here today, I'm going to write, you know, that kind of energy as well. Yeah, the practical real life demands and pressure. Well, but how beautiful that you felt supported. It sounds like you felt very supported, which is uh, wonderful. No wonder why. Okay, so the book is called Home to Her, Walking the Transformative Path of the Sacred Feminine. I like to just set a foundation for me and my audience with my guests about definition of terms, like what we're talking about here. Okay, so I just love the title, um, Walking the Transformative Path. So I'm going to ask you well, why the choice of the word transformative? How is the path transformative for us? And let's define sacred and let's define feminine. So we're all on the same page with what we're talking about here. So whoever you kind of want to answer that, let's break down that title. Yeah. Well, and the, the, the subtitle there was one of the hardest parts. I felt like the name was home to her. I felt like that was very yes. clear, mm -hmm. but the, you know, like how do I encompass what I'm talking about? Um, so the transformative piece, I think, and surely I'm not speaking for everyone, but I think there are plenty of, women in particular who are um, 
may look around or they, they are on a particular trajectory and they are doing what they have been taught and trained to do. And I think for a lot of educated women, that is like we, we get a good degree, perhaps we go and get a, 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 a high powered job. We, we, we enter the workspace that wasn't available to our mothers and our grandmothers and we go prove our success there. And what really came forward for me, both in the process of leaving my company and finding the divine feminine and writing this book was the understanding that most of these structures that we are participating in in our culture were not built with women in mind or with women participating, period. And so when you are trying to define success in this world, you're, you're doing it still from a patriarchal standpoint that was never designed to support you. And so I think when we realize that it can be like having the rug completely pulled out from under us. And I've seen it in, in women's spaces. Not everybody reacts to it that way, but I've seen it in women's spaces. When I start to talk about the subject matter, it's like, oh my God, like I had no idea, you know, or I knew, I always thought it was me. I thought I was the problem because I felt like I didn't fit in this world. You know, I was too sensitive or I needed to rest more, I get exhausted, or I, I don't feel confident in these situations or whatever. And there's never an understanding because nobody's telling you this, that the culture that we're in is not designed to be very supportive to anyone other than probably a handful of, of white men for being honest, you know? So the transformative path, I think is when we, when we realize that, I think the sacred feminine can be this learning about her can, can be this powerful, I don't want to say antidote, but just gives us an alternative storyline to the dominant narrative that so many of us have been raised with. And if you were raised in a more traditional Christian household like I was, then that can be layered on even more. You know, if you were raised in this household where God was a man and you never questioned it, uh, that just feeds into the same, the same kind of cultural foundation that tells us that this is the way we need to show up in the world. Uh, the world has been set by these people. This is right. And our job is to go and participate in it and be successful in it, as opposed to saying, wait a minute, if I had had a say in this, maybe I would have designed something different. So the transformative path to me is when we realize that we have an opportunity to step off of that, that, you know, straight line. It really is kind of a, you know, they want it. It's, it's like they, I don't want to use the word they, but you know, our culture wants it to be a straight line, you know, from point A to point B. When we step off of that and realize that life is more like a spiral, uh, which I think the sacred feminine can teach us, um, then there's a huge transformation that can happen. And it's not easy, you know, and I mean, just stepping out of that narrative can be really, really challenging. It can be lonely until you find your people, but you will find your people eventually. Um, but it can be really, really I'm looking for the word. It's just a powerful thing to do. It's, you know, sort of like reclaiming your own soul. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, you have mentioned um, in your work of sharing her story as opposed to his story uh, that you've actually said, I'm quoting now, if you feel out of sync with our culture, it's probably not you. We are attempting to thrive in a culture that was never designed for us or even with our input or needs in mind completely stripped from our histories and our sacred practices. 
This is enough to make anyone feel crazy. And that's okay to reject it all and begin forging your own path. So, considering you're seeing that we are all currently existing in, in a cultural structure that is not supportive of the feminine in us, how, Liz, do we continue to operate in this culture that, yes, it's starting to transform a little bit, but it's still predominantly operating in that way. And once we identify, oh, okay, okay, I'm not crazy. That's the good news. But the bad news is I still got to exist in the structure of a culture or my job structure or the paradigm or whatever. Do you have any tips with us for how we coexist with these two opposing structures once we identify that we'd like it to be different? Yeah. And I, I, I cannot say it's not easy. I just want to say that like, I, there is no, there is no easy answer. And I, I think that the more you are able to embrace what feels true and right for you, um, it's like a gravitational pull, like the, the people and the situations and the places that will support that start to slowly come into your life. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, and even when that happens, there's still, you still have to function. You, we are in this world. Like there are some people who have figured out how to unplug completely and they're going off the grid and they're doing that thing. For me, that's just, that doesn't feel quite right. Like I, I, I want to be, I, I want to be in the world. Um, and so I don't have a quick and easy answer, but I do think reclaiming or just even investigating, listening to your own heart of like the rituals and the practices that would support you and really letting those come from within. And they might be really small things, but committing, like I am going to give myself these things and I am going to create boundaries around those things and I'm going to have them. I think that's, that's one way to navigate this. Um, yeah. I love that. So let's, let's dive into that for, for, the audience sake and for my sake, <laughs> yeah. what, what, what do these look like? Cause I think you're really hitting on the, a very powerful practical application. You know, I'm Jane Smith. I'm in a job that's a corporate nine to five type structure, or I, you know, have rules or obligations with my work responsibilities, but I want to create rituals and practices that feed my soul and nurture my heart and take care of myself um, and are fulfilling. What would that look like, Liz? Like a morning 20 minute cup of tea with a affirmation meditative practice, maybe a restorative yoga twice a week, a walk in nature on Sundays. Like, what does that really look like for people? How can we make rituals and practices that support us? Yeah. And it could be any of those things. I know for me, um, I have a, a morning practice. Well, and actually in, in my divine feminine training, um, we had a saying, which was speed the feminine first. You start nice. by speeding the feminine first. So what does that look like for you? So for Ooh. me, what I know about myself, I have two kids who are eight and 11 and I do, and they're, you know, they're old enough now so they can do a lot of things on their own. But I know that I do so much better if I have time in the morning alone when yes. the house is quiet before anyone else is talking to me or I have to take care of anyone else. And I know that I thrive in those in-between spaces like dusk and dawn, even if it's really hard for me to get up that early, that's 
going and sitting on my porch, even when it's cold, I just wrap up, you know, really as tight as I can in blankets, but going and sitting in that liminal space when darkness is fading and dawn is rising is so nurturing to me. And I have a practice of honoring the four directions that evolved over years. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I didn't train for it. I just, and I have allowed the spirits that feel right to me to show up that align with those directions. So they might not line up with somebody else's. So I do that. I sit quietly and I consider that listening to the divine mother um, and just seeing what she has to say to me. And then I have a practice of calling in um, all my guides and my spirits all the way around me in in front of me, to the side of me, behind me, above me, below me. And those evolved over time too. This is all stuff that I first just started with the meditation practice. So it evolved over years. And then I would sense, wow, it feels like there's a bear that's in front of me, that's protecting me. It feels like there's a black panther that's behind me, that's guarding me behind me. I can feel my ancestors standing behind me, putting their hands on my shoulders. And it just became a practice, a sacred practice of calling them all in around me. And then I offer some prayers out to the world, you know, just, um, a song, you know, that I send out to the world. And if I do that, that whole practice for me takes about 25, 30 minutes. I can shorten it if I need to, but that just sets such a good tone for my day. And um, it's just for me, you know, I've just kind of designed it myself. It took years to kind of fall into place and it might change again. You know, I felt, I felt certain guides starting to show up that haven't been there before. So I just allowed that. You're filling my heart because I have to tell you that sounds a lot like my morning practice, so much so I'm I'm really almost speechless. I mean, right down to the honoring the four directions, the listening, uh, your connection to the liminal times of dusk and dawn that we know, you know, the veil is thinner between the worlds and it's a really great way to connect uh, to the other realms, particularly if you're kind of a novice at all that because, the, like I said, the veil is thinner. That's very similar to mine. Um, a couple things. Y- you mentioned that you kind of tap into feeling and it sounds like your imagination and your imaginative capacities. I, I love this and I'd like to just poke that a little bit because when we work with people trying to tap into their inner child, their imagination, their playfulness, their, their receptive ability, a lot of times the first thing we hear is people are afraid they're making it up. Or even tapping yes. into the voice of their own soul. They think, uh, how do I know I'm not just, you know, I'm just making it up. Okay, so I hear you using your imagination. Powerful. What would you say to someone who's like, okay, I just got the image that there's a bear next to me. That's so stupid. There's no bear. Or, you know, as opposed to what? Like, what do you want them to know about that imaginative work? Oh, gosh, I could say so much about this. But I think the first question I want to be, I want to say is, what if you are? What if you are? What happens then? Like, you so know, what? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. can you, I mean, it, yeah. in, re, in reality, and I feel like I know, Amy, this will resonate with you. Um, and, and, and there are indigenous peoples that say the same thing. Like, we are, we are dreaming our world into being. Like, our understanding of reality is a shared construct, right? That we have all agreed upon. And, and so imagination is is a critical part of it it's not a childlike thing like what if that is your what is that is the divine speaking through you it's a great great gift and so 
even if you don't know for certain if something else is, you know, I don't know, causing it or you are, isn't that just confirmation of divinity living within you, creating through you? Um, so that, that is one thing that I like to tell myself. And, and believe me, I've had this question many times over the years and even the most powerful experiences, I can go back and be like, did that really happen? Is that, yep. am I making that up? But I, I think that um, if, if we even entertain the idea that maybe we're making this up, that might also give us just a little bit of levity around all of it. In other words, not taking any of it too seriously. And I think, oh gosh, I think we all need that so much. So what if, you just, what if you just gave yourself permission? Like, you know, like maybe you are making it up. Does it make you feel good? Does it, does it support you? Does it feel yes. like it's supportive of you? Then who cares? Love right? it. Right? We're not mm -hmm. going to tell our children to stop imagining cool things and worlds and dreams. Like mm -hmm. it's a joyful for them. And so, and also I would say that you're probably not making it up. I mean, I, I think agree. even, even the fact that you just said your practice is very similar to mine and nobody really taught me that. And it sounds like you've just evolved it on your own. I, I feel like this is wisdom. It's in our bones. Like we're carrying it. And these things are coming forward for a reason. Oh, so much so. And, you know, in my, my practice, sometimes like I'll get almost a flash, like a visual, because I know in the spirit world, they, they move really fast. And that's part of why you have to really relax and open your mind, because if your mind is jumpy, you're not holding on enough to kind of, you miss it type thing, because it, it happens quickly. Sometimes I get flashes and I almost feel like something's there, someone was there, something was there, you know, because like, I always think uh, the creature's big and small, seen and unseen, because, yes. you know, things are in different forms than our eyes even recognize, you know, like like fairies and, and spirits and stuff. Like they're, they're just a different essence, a different energy, a different frequency, a different speed. And sometimes when I'm in my practice, this little morning thing, and mine only takes about 10 minutes, so God bless you for 25. Uh, I'm always telling myself the story. I don't have time to do more, but at least I commit to that. Sometimes I do a little more, but, but I guess what I'm getting at is sometimes I'll see a little flash and I'll be like, wait, something was just there. Oh, I'm just making that up. Oh, that was just the sunlight. Oh. And then I'll be like, no, damn it. That there was something right there. You know, and I, and even like to your point, if, if I'm just saying it to make myself feel better, so what? It makes me feel better. <laughs> and then that helps my energy field and my frequency. So very powerful. Definitely. And I mean, it does beg the question, well, who owns reality? Who mm. gets to define what reality is? Do you get to define what reality is for you? Or are you, have you outsourced that to someone else? Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is when you start to talk to people, I, almost everybody that, well, okay, maybe not everybody, but many people that I have met, have stories of things that have happened in their lives that they cannot explain. Mm -hmm. They have had spirits. They have had dead relatives show up to them in dreams or like actually see them. They have had animals cross their paths in ways they can't understand. They have known to do something when they didn't know why or how. Mm -hmm. And it is like our culture's best kept secret that no one talks about. I actually don't think it's that uncommon. It's just that we aren't talking about it and sharing about it because again we have agreed we've created an agreement field culturally that there are certain things that we're going to acknowledge are real and certain things that aren't yeah but that doesn't mean we're not having those experiences 
yeah, like Newtonian physics and, you know, the, the if you can't touch it, feel it tangible, it doesn't exist and all that. And otherwise you're, you're deemed loopy, crazy and woo woo and all that stuff. But I think it's changing, you know, I mean, even Einstein said that imagination is more important than intelligence. And we know it's the, the root of all creativity, novelty, play, I mean, and, and joy, like you and I are talking about. So what? Like, I, half the time, I'd much rather be in my imaginary world than my real life. Let me tell you right now, it's a lot more fun. And who cares? You know, and that's why I like art therapy. You know, I just like my to make up creatures and things and people like, what's that thing over there on the top right hand corner? I'm like, I don't know. But I just drew it. And it's fun. And you know, you just don't know where it's going to lead to. So I, I love that that's an important part of your practice. And, um, and it's, I think it's very powerful. So I hope people listening and watching might take away, try it a little bit, you know, just let yourself go there, let yourself get out of your logical, rational thinking brain and, you know, just kind of open up to trying to look for the, the, the new, new, the novel, the different, the unseen, the, the subtle, you know, uh, do you have any other suggestions to help people go there? Well, I think, I think it's really helpful to do it in nature too, for a couple mm -hmm. of reasons. Uh, I think you start to realize very quickly that the natural world is very much alive. Everything oh, yes. is alive, but also it keeps you grounded because there are those of us that are hypersensitive and, you know, can connect to, I don't know, other worlds and other realms and all these things. And, and uh, when we are in nature, I think it keeps us grounded. You know, if you've got feet on the ground, bare feet on the ground is even better Then you're rooted here. You know, like you are still here. You are a human being on this earth for a reason in this plane, in this reality. I firmly believe that we all chose to be here. And that does not mean we chose our, you know, the bad things that happened to us. But I think that we made it, I believe that we've made a choice to be on this earth, in this plane, in this reality. And so it has things to teach us. And being in nature, I think, reminds us, like, no, this is a real world. There is a real world. There's leaves under my feet. There's trees around. And it's a beautiful place to connect to the bigger unseen rhythms and things because that's there too. I love it. I like to say that, you know, we, we connect to the spiritual through the physical. Yes. And, and, and mother nature is the direct portal. I mean, there's no question, you know, you tap into your senses, you, 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 again, you just kind of shift out of the logical head and drop down from the upper idea of your head into your body and feel the air on your hands, yes. you know, hear the leaves rustling that you wouldn't normally hear, you know, like just smell like, oh, right now I'm smelling leaves. I was just noticing that this morning because it's the real turning of the fall to winter. Um, just the, and the little things that might pop in your head and that's all okay. Just kind of like, oh, okay. And then following it and not, and then noticing, oh, wow, that little chipmunk just ran under the tree. And, you know, just noticing, feeling, experiencing through the body to try to and I just feel a physical relaxation happen. My whole body, yes. the tension just starts to dissolve. And like you said, bare feet right into Mother Earth who transmutes it into something that she can use. And um, it, it's the best medicine. It, it is yes. truly the best medicine. Nothing restores my soul like Mother Nature because we're going home to Mama. You know, that's where we came from. And she's nurturing us in that regard. And, you know, particularly if you have mommy issues, like so many do, I guess, you know, that might be the best 
uh, healing that you can get is, you know, truly your, your mother, your grandmother, as opposed to your, you know, human mother. So yes, powerful, yes. powerful. All right. So your book, uh, okay. Oh yes. yes. That was something yes. I was going to say. Yes. Please. Okay. I knew I had something I wanted to add. Um, mm -hmm. I think I just want to mention that it, back to that question of, is this real or am I making this up? Mm. If it is helpful for people to know, and this was one of the things that has really come forward in studying the history of the sacred feminine and the living practices of the sacred feminine, because it's very much alive in different cultures around the world. It is a European Christian oriented, which fed into a patriarchal mindset that these things aren't real. There are plenty of people around the world that know that the unseen is just as real as oh, yeah. seen. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you can look at both living and historical traditions, even in ancient Europe. So this is, it is a construct that patriarchal, I think religions benefited from because now you've got the control of the sacred inside of religious institutions, as opposed to in the hands of the individuals. And so if you're questioning whether or not this is real, just remember there is no universal there's no universally accepted definition of what is real there's what your culture is telling you but your culture is not the only culture and so if you're getting curious you know you can start to research you know like well how have other people treated this how have other people experienced this how have my ancestral people perhaps seen this which is one of the things was one of the reasons that i wanted to write the book okay and i would say Absolutely 100%. And if you're not sure, look into and study the mystery schools. I mean, there's your answer. We know for sure. I mean, these things were very, very much real, very much revered and practiced and very powerful and, and, and again, just real. But if you're going to look into the mystery schools, folks, don't Google it because you definitely won't be shown exactly what you need to, to, to know. I mean, there's, what's the book, uh, Secret History of the World by Mark Booth, I think it is, is a fantastic resource. I mean, you know, s studying uh, the path of the feminine, obviously like uh, Merlin Stone's work, When God Was a Woman. I mean, your work, Liz, I mean, there's just so many. I mean, you are, your podcast is full of them. There's so much out there on the mystery schools. I mean, this is, this is real flesh and blood stuff that was practiced, is powerful. Um, and is very, very much real as opposed to what our current culture is telling us. Yes. Um, can you just quickly, before we go on to the other subject, any examples of the living practices of the sacred feminine that you can just, uh, just for us to wrap our brain around a tangible of what you mean by that? Well, I think, um, there is a tendency when we talk about the sacred feminine, uh, to talk about her as being dead. Like, oh, she's been yes. gone, she's been buried, True. And she's mm -hmm. destroyed, and we have to bring her back. And what I think is more accurate to say is that if you are of European descent, there is a very clear historical record of um, a lot of effort to destroy the divine feminine and to suppress the feminine. And that correlated hand in hand with, you know, the um, diminishment of women's rights as well. Um, but if you were to ask a practicing Hindu, uh, if the divine feminine is dead, they would probably laugh in your face. Uh, there's just a huge pantheon of goddesses in that tradition. And, you know, there are a billion followers of Hinduism. We're not talking about like a small number of people here. Mm -hmm. Or if you really start to look at um, indigenous 
American traditions that have survived. You can find evidence of the sacred feminine. It's not going to look the same. Like you might not, she might yeah. not be called a goddess. It might be like an ancestral figure, like an ancestral grandmother figure or um, someone like that, or perhaps an animal spirit, like a grandmother spider, but she's very much there. And, um, you know, in the practices or in the cultures that were really decimated by colonialism, you can see that she was alive, uh, you know, up until a European colonizers got on this continent. And we're only talking 400 years ago. That's not that long ago. And in a lot of places, she has still persevered. Or if you look at any tradition that, that hails from Africa, there's a very rich pantheon of gods and goddesses. They're not always called that. They're Orishas, perhaps. Um, but living practices... And there are, you know, teachers of this wisdom right now that you can go and learn from and, you know, be discerning, right? There's everything, just like you said, I mean, everything's all over the internet. So you got to be discerning about what you're going to study and how, but, but it's a mistake to think that this information isn't out there and available and it won't look the same from culture to culture. It shouldn't, you know, we're not all having the same experience but she's very much present. And then of course, if you look in popular culture, I think you can find the divine feminine. Anywhere. Okay. So can you give us some examples of, of, of her in our current culture, since it's been so obscured? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. Well, I, I think, you know, the thing again, cause I've got small kids, like the thing that comes to mind for me is all the kids movies. That's what comes to mind immediately for me. So the stories that we are telling our children, now as opposed to the stories that perhaps you and i got growing up where you know i don't know about you but it's always like a princess who's being rescued or cinderella whatever. i was like oh no not cinderella right <laughs> fall but asleep you... and you know, or the what's the beauty and the beast one marry the beast oh great oh, yeah, oh i know good advice. Yeah. good advice how about um <laughs> how about poor ariel and the whatever that What's that movie? The oh, yeah, mermaid, that mermaid little, thing. Yeah. Little, little mermaid. mermaid. Yep. Mm -hmm. He literally gives up her voice to be with a man. I mean, my gosh, what is that about? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the stories that we're telling that are, you know, been told to kids, like starting around, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, it's like a totally different story. So um, I think of like the Frozen movies, which is, you know, yeah. I mean, these are very powerful female figures who are healing ancestral yes. trauma, especially in the second one. There's, uh, Moana, which is like the most divine feminine movie I think I've ever seen. And, you know, Love that movie. I do too. We could definitely mm -hmm. raise questions about should Disney be making a story, or story about traditional, um, you know, uh, Pacific Islander culture. And you know, that's a different story, but it's a beautiful <laughs> divine feminine story. There's, um, there's a wonderful movie that came out. I think it's like Wolf Walkers, I believe that was out in the last couple of years, which is about a divine feminine figure from Irish mythology. They're, they're really there's so many of them and they're popular, you know, they're winning uh, Academy Awards and things. And so I think that kind of, that's, that's one thing I could probably come up with a bunch, but that's the first thing that comes up to my head right now. I think it's brilliant. I think it's great. And it's a great point. And God bless us. It's a nice testimony to the to the uh, evolution of our culture, if you will, going from Cinderella to Moana, or I'm probably not saying that properly, but I know the movie you mean. I watched it with my eight-year-old niece, and uh, I was like, damn, we never had a female lead in these Disney movies that, you know, didn't acquiesce her power and wasn't like, you know, the eye candy. She Here's, you know, the female lead who's strong and smart and brave and gifted and, you know, going on the heroine's journey instead of the boy, you know, so... 
That's yes. a, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. Oh, yes. Oh, in Kanto, that's another more recent one. Yes. I mean, all the women have these most amazing powers, yes, you know. It's, mm-hmm. And it's the it's the girl who heals the family trauma again. It's pretty amazing. And uh, I will say one other thing. I write about this in the book. One of the things that was super fascinating to me when I started researching the sacred feminine was finding how many things in our culture are named for goddesses or relate back to goddesses. And we just don't know it. Like, for example, there's all these rivers in Europe that are named for goddesses, like the Danube River. One of the most famous rivers is named for Danube, who's a goddess. The Seine River in uh, runs through France is named for a goddess. There's so many of these examples. Even the word bitch was once a word used to describe followers of the goddess Diana because she was known to travel with hunting dogs. That's right, Artemis. Oh my gosh, yeah. I remember reading that. Yes. So if you say son of a bitch, that once meant a follower of the goddess. Of like, Artemis, yes. And it became, oh God, that's true. yeah, it became a derogatory term over time. So- Like they think, all did. Of course. Yes. Like whore, so, whore, right. they, they all became derogatory over time, but they originally oh, yeah. were a good thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's, I think when we know this, and we start to reclaim this too, then we're like, oh, the goddess, I mean, this divine feminine never went anywhere. Like she never really left, you know, we just lost sight of her. And now how lucky are we that we live in a time when we can see her and when it's safe for us to talk about her and bring her back to the forefront. And so now what's called upon for us is to have the courage to do it, you know, to step out of that mm-hmm. linear patriarchal narrative and start to embrace her and bring her forward in ways that work for us. And I like that you said that, Liz, because I really like to um, have this show have a positive, empowering, can do and answer to, okay, rather than kind of wallow in the blame game and, you know, those effers, you know, they, they, you know, totally screwed up the whole feminine thing. But okay, that's true. Let's acknowledge it. It happened. But now what are we going to do about it? You know, and let's put our money where our mouth is. And how are we going to now live this truth, incorporate this part of who we are, empower it and be it, express it. And, um, you know, again, just put our money where our mouth is. It's one thing to say that, yeah, I believe in it and it would be nice, but yeah, it might mean going against culture and getting a little pushback and being the weird one. Or, you know, I'm outside in my backyard at five o'clock in the morning with my feet on the ground and my neighbors are like, she's nuts. And I'm like doing my prayer thing. You know, I know they're probably like, what is she doing? And it's like, it's not going to stop me. You know, I'll be, I'll be that person if it means me giving myself what I need. I'm okay with that. And, you know, for that matter, I think the world needs to see people doing what their soul is calling them to do, being their own person, having the courage to be the odd one. If more people did it, we it would empower other people to live your truth. Yes, and it wouldn't be so odd. And mm. I, I know you know, and I know too, that it is hard, especially in the beginning, you know, when you feel like yeah. you're sort of stepping off of that straight path, yeah. it, it is hard. Um, and it yeah. can be done. It really, it can be. And life gets so much more interesting and richer, I think. Yes, I I agree. I agree 100%. And uh and you just in and, and by just doing it feeds into your self-empowerment. You know, it's like doing courageous things makes you more courageous and then you get more courageous so you do more courageous things. It's like a a ripple effect, you know. Um which is beautiful. I'm curious Liz in your in your writing of the book and all the research and what you came across. Um is the path of the sacred feminine 
the same for everybody or are there commonalities in us? I mean, because we all have that uh, ancestral uh, collective uh, uh, subconscious or what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think when I started writing and um, researching this, I I wanted to say yes, like there's a, it's, you know, it, it's all the same, you know, but what I have learned over time is just recognizing that we're not all having the same experience. And so, and that is okay. So I guess what I would say to that is it's a yes and, right? Like when we have moments of just transcendent connection, we realize like that all these differences that we think we have, they just fall away, right? You know, you know that you are one with the universe or spirit and that makes you one with all living things and it's the most beautiful, beautiful moment. But then eventually you got to come back to this reality, which is defined in a way by duality, you know? And, and it's defined, I would say even more than that, it's not duality, it's multiplicity. There are so many different people having so many different experiences. And so the sacred feminine is not the same to everybody. And I, this is something that I have learned and really deepened with um, through hosting my podcast and having people on. Like, for example, if I have had someone on who is, um, who is a practicing Hindu, her understanding of the sacred feminine is probably going to look really different in some ways than my ancestral people's understanding or how I am trying to reclaim it in my life now. The same is true of people who practice certain African traditional religions um, like Santeria or um, Voodoo. There, in those traditions, you are, for example, you are typically, you join a house. You have a teacher who's like a godfather or a godmother. You join a house, they help you figure out which deity you connect with the most. And there's a very specific spiritual path that you follow to connect with that deity. It isn't just as simple, perhaps, as sitting down and like, oh, I feel like this person is in front of me. And so we can judge that. Or we could just say, we're not all having the same experience. And how beautiful is that? That the sacred feminine, I think, is the overarching experience. So she is the universal. But how she shows up to us and plays with us in life, that can be different. And I think that's a beautiful thing. We don't all have to be having the same experience. And how lovely to hear from other people how it's playing out in their lives. And what can we learn from that? Instead of saying, well, that's different for me, so I don't feel comfortable with it. And I think if we're expecting everybody to be having the same experience, that's a patriarchal hangover. That is 100% goes back to a male monotheistic God who says, you shall have one God and it's only me. And we don't have mm. to buy into that. Wow. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Hey, I really hope you're enjoying the episode today. And you know, I'm into holistic health and fitness as I'm sure you are too, because you're here. Everybody these days seems to be into crystals and sacred geometry and uh, essential oils and all this cool stuff that we're learning about mother nature and her beautiful medicinal gifts to us. Well, I bet you have a crystal in your house. I know I've got a whole bunch. So I have my friend Ross Newkirk here because he is the creator of Conscious Technologies, which produces a bunch of beautiful products that we can all have in our homes to help harmonize our environment, get us on higher levels of frequency and vibration so we can heal, create, 
feel good, de-stress, all that good stuff. And one of the things that he offers are things called the Vogel Cut Crystals. These are very unique crystals. They're not your average day crystal, folks. Not the ones you're going to find at TJ Maxx or even Whole Foods. These are the Mercedes-Benz of crystals. And Ross is here to explain to us how his wife, who's also a healing practitioner, uses these crystals in her practice to help her patients heal and harmonize. Ross. These um, crystals are called Vogel cut crystals. And Marcel Vogel was the one that um, came up with this design crystal. He spent years uh, researching and studying crystals and found that crystals in their natural state and environment all have their own unique frequencies to them. But if you're able to cut a crystal a specific way, which is what our uh, Vogel cut crystals are uh, cut like, you can actually take and uh, cohere uh, and focus and amplify energy through these um, crystals. So just like a laser can focus a light beam, a crystal can be cut to focus and amplify energy. And so my wife at her uh, center, the Awakened Wholeness Center in Rhode Island, she actually does um, uh, work with crystals all the time. And she um, uses the crystals to actually cut energetic cords. She calls it cord cutting um, and energetic cords that um, are basically attached to people, you know, old programs and so forth. And she's able to utilize these tools to uh, amplify um, energy and intention and and remove and cut off these uh, cords that are often holding people back. The specific angles, the growth angle of the actual quartz itself, the intention that's needed while cutting the, uh, the crystal all go into uh, creating these amazing, finely tuned instruments. And Ross, how can people get their uh, Vogel cut crystals? Not to be mistaken for maybe a Google search that you might do because there's a lot of knockoffs out there, crystals claiming that they're Vogel cut because, you know, people in this industry, unfortunately, don't all have integrity and they're just going to slap that name. It's like the organic label and it's really not organic or something of that nature. So they might claim Vogel crystal, but you have to make sure you get a verified, certified Vogel cut master crystal creator guy, whatever the term is, like these are the real deal guys. And you'll know because they work as opposed to the ones that don't work. But Ross, how can they get theirs and even at a discount? Yeah, actually, um, we uh, have them up on your website. You have them on your website, amyfournier.com. And uh, if they enter Fit Amy TV 10, they can get 10% off their Vogel Cut Crystal. You get to choose between uh, which Sherpa line bag that you would like uh, with your crystal. They all come with a handmade bag that we make as well. And they're beautiful tools. So uh, thank you. How about, can you give us maybe three tips or a couple top tips from your work with women and writing your book and, and all the research you've done in your life to help us to start walking the path of the sacred feminine. Let's just say someone never really heard of any of this before, like just three tips to get, to get us started. Okay. I, yeah. Well, so it'd be really self-serving to say, read my book and of course. To my podcast. Oh, no, but well, I mean, so the work that I have done is really because I found it hard to get on this path or exactly didn't quite know how to get started. And so the book that I wrote was kind of intended for uh, people like me. Um, but I, I think, you know, the first tip I wanted to give was to start to learn a little bit about the history. I think that applies to people who um, 
perhaps think of this as still like a little bit kind of woo woo, you know, they're like, I don't know if I want to go near that. That sounds kind of weird. Then start with the history because there is so much of it. You know, if that would make you feel better that this is something that is rooted in reality, then go there. That is a very good and easy place to start. And I, um, I've had a lot of people on my podcast that come at this from a historical bent. I put a lot of the history in my book. There are amazing uh, female researchers who have been doing this work for decades. Max Deschew is one who is just incredible. She runs something called Suppressed Histories Archives. And uh, she is just wow. a wealth of information. You mentioned When God Was a Woman by Merlin Stone. There's some classic books. There's an archaeologist um, named Maria Gimbutas who uh, did some amazing work around this. So the evidence is there. If, you, if that makes you feel good, that's a good place to start. And then the second place I would say is just start to, and we've already talked about this, but start to pay attention. Yep. Because the thing is, if you're curious about this and it's calling you, she's looking for you. And I, that might sound strange, but I can promise you she's looking for you. So start paying attention. Love that. Are things showing up in your dreams? Are you seeing particular signs and symbols out in your world? Um, yeah. Are you feeling drawn? Are people mentioning things to you? and things that are showing up repeatedly. You know, I follow this kind of rule of two. I don't, I don't require the divine feminine to hit, hit me with three things. <laughs> Twice works for me. So if somebody mentions something that resonates with me or that I'm curious about, I'm like, okay, that's one. And then if somebody else does the same thing, I'm like, well, that seems like a very clear message one I should follow. So just start paying attention to these things and, and giving credence to them. And then I guess the third one I would say is, you know, Early on, I decided to ask for help just to see what would happen. And so many things opened when I did. So if you could believe, if you can expand your belief that if we're talking about the sacred feminine here, that there is this force and that she wants to connect with you, then ask her, ask her to show up to you. You can even get specific, ask her how it might make most sense for her to show up in your life and then watch and wait. And she will. She will. I mean, it, it's the way it works. And I would add, too, you're just making me kind of feel kind of how I live these type of practices. Ask her to show you how she expresses herself in your body, in your life. Yeah. You know, like, because I think we have to be careful that we don't externalize the divine you know, and I know you're not saying that, but we know the divine is in us. We are it, you know, we're from it, however you want to think of it. But a lot of times we put it out there, you know, God forbid up in heaven, but even just out there, like, you know, so it's like, how were you in me? And what does that look like in my life? How does it, or even just if you're, it depends, I guess, how you, are you, are you clairvoyant? Are you clairsentient? Like, do you feel things? Like, does your stomach get a little butterfly? Do you feel a, a heaviness in your shoulders? Uh, do you feel, do you see lights? Do you see images? Do you hear voices? Like, how do you receive information? Tap into that and then start cultivating that relationship with quote unquote her, you know, that's, I would add that. And then I would also think too, Liz, like if she's calling you, I love that point you made. Um, you know, she is, if, if you feel like your life has a lack of meaning, the feminine brings meaning to things. It's, 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 it's the, it's the value. The feminine is the value structure of life. 
And um, so if you just feel like you're going through motions or you're just kind of dead inside or like, why am I even doing this? Or, every, you know, it's a like groundhog day. That could be a lack of living in a feminine place or if I'm not speaking well, sorry, end of the day, my, my brain isn't working that well, but, um, yeah, I think you know what I'm trying to say. I like do, if you're, yeah. yeah. Did you want to expand on any of that? No, yeah. I love that. And I love that you brought it back to the body. That's such an important yeah. point. Thank you for doing that. Um, and you know, my first kind of calling was an embodied experience. It was, it was triggered by someone speaking Oh yes, you know, to, I, and I talked about this in our first podcast interview and your book, your first yes. chapter. Yeah, yes, mm -hmm. and in the book, I Great was at story. a business conference and mm -hmm. and I had a physical reaction to someone's words. So it was her words, and then my body that sort of responded by getting all hot and tingly all over, which had never happened to me before. Mm -hmm. And I hesitate to hit like the specific way that it feels too much because everybody's body is different. So yes. we, we don't have to slip into comparison, but. Maybe you already know, like what feels like a ring of authenticity and truth? Like what are the signs and symbols that your body is already giving you? And it is in the body. And it may be in response to something that seems external to you, but mm -hmm. you do, the truth resides within you. So I'm so glad that you named that and, that mentioned, and you mentioned that because to me, the divine feminine is above all else embodied. Like she, mm -hmm. there is no ascending like we're going to get out of this reality we're going to get out of here like this is bad and i want to go you know live up in the stars or on another planet or whatever no she's here she's here <laughs> she's grounded and she knows the sacredness of this body just mm -hmm. as it is you know without you having to do anything different with it i love it and i'll just add too that uh you know for that matter, it's always different for us too. Like even if you're someone who does often feel things in your body, but like sometimes for me, like I'll just have some kind of thought or whatever. And all of a sudden like a hawk will fly by. Like, you know, so sometimes it can be external. So like, like you said, Liz, the bottom line is just be observant, be open, be, be cognizant of like, oh, maybe that was a sign, you know, like don't expect it to be like a, a letter from the mailman. Like, here's your answer. You know what I mean? It just, or like, you know, I'm, I'm reading a magazine one day and I come across an article and like, oh, that's really inspiring. Or, oh, just kind of, that makes me think, you know, so you just never know how the answer is going to come for that matter. But when in doubt, drop into your body and cultivate that relationship with your body's way of communicating because your body can be your best ally. End of story. Always with you till you die. So you might as well cultivate that relationship. <laughs> oh, yeah. I also write about in the book to mm. paying attention to your heart's desires, like your yes. deepest heart's desires. And again, mm -hmm. there's a that word desire has kind of been demonized by our culture. Like there's sort of a, a hint of like something naughty or sinful about it. But when we drop in really deeply into what our desires are, I also think of that as the feminine, the sacred feminine trying to speak to us. Like she is... She is not about um, rejection of the body or rejection of what makes you feel good. And of course, or shoulds, yes. should, shoulding yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, we really, it, it requires discernment. Like what actually makes me feel good, right? Marketers will tell you like, it feels good to, you know, I don't know, down a bottle of wine and eat a gallon of ice cream when you feel bad or whatever. Does that really make you feel good? I don't know if it does, then that's great. But like, what is your really deepest heart's desire? Like, for example, when I, started getting the callings of this path there were a couple things that i just wanted so badly and one of them was i would be driving to work 
and the, and I would drive this back way through the woods to get to my office and the urge to stop the car and run into the woods would be so overwhelming sometimes I could barely keep driving and I had a business coach at the time and I would tell her this and I told her this and she's like well you know what that is it's like that's your soul calling go get into the woods like what what are you doing you gotta go you gotta go experience it so I think listening to those really deep desires and sometimes they are not um, they're not comfortable desires you know desire to be free or desire to experience life in a different way than we've given ourselves permission to desire to have experiences different from our family of origin but i think that those are the sacred feminine talking to us too i love that that's such an important point and i'll kind of add to that that often it's something spontaneous like you're saying it could be just the desire to emote or, or let out a vocal noise or a grunt a noise that some sort of energy is sound and light or energy. So the body might have a need to just make a noise or, um, I don't know, just do a push up. you know, like you just have like a, a desire to do something. And a lot of times, again, it's just a spontaneous thing that, you know, try to follow that calling when you can, when it's safe, you know, um, because it's a way I think of you know, it's the old, if you don't, if you stop answering the phone, the phone will stop ringing, you know? So like you get at least now and then indulge, <laughs> you, oh, know, yes. you, you can't always turn it off, you know, otherwise your body stops talking to you, you know? Yes. And uh, the other way that I was going to say, the other way that it started showing up for me is I wanted to do so much more yoga than I had been doing before. Mm. And I think it was just the physical um, that that way of being just deeply, deeply embodied and dropping into stillness in that way through the postures. And so now when I look at it, and even when I look at what I wrote in the book, well, I talk about the sacred feminine is nature. I was being called to be in nature. The sacred feminine is embodied. I was being called to be in my body as much as possible. So those deep, deep desires were her, like her mm -hmm. calling me. Uh, and by answering them, then I, I get to move into a deeper way of being, which is really beautiful and special. I love it. Any really surprising revelations as a result of writing the book? Well, you know, I think I referenced this already. Like I did a whole first draft of this book and thought it was done and shopped it around. And then when I looked at it again, I realized that I had written this story um, kind of assuming that what I told you is that this sacred feminine is sort of the same for all of us and we should all be having the same experience and she died a long time ago and now it's our job to resurrect her and bring her back. And, you know, through the course of uh, just life events and hosting the podcast, I just started to realize more and more that that is not true and that that wasn't the message that I needed to be giving. Like I need to be holding the tension of multiple truths at the same time, which I also think is the sacred feminine. To me, she is very rarely an either or. Her answer is always yes and. Yes, there's a grain of truth in that. Inclusive. Mm -hmm. There's a grain of truth in this too. And so that made the book kind of harder to write in a way, because I wanted to be like, oh yes, this is the way it is, you know? And that wasn't, that wasn't what I was mm -hmm. called to write, but it ultimately felt much more on point, I guess, authentic. So that was, that was, that was a revelation. And, and another thing that I would say is through the process of writing the book and then bringing it out into the world, I have noticed that there's something that's quieted in me 
about needing the approval of others. And I don't think it's just, I mean, part of it is, you know, okay, it was published, you know, so that makes me feel good, right? But I think there is something about saying my creative voice matters and I'm going to commit to it and, and bring it forward. And in doing so, it's somehow, it's quieted some of my anxieties and fears that I am a little bit outside of mainstream in a way that I don't quite know how to explain, but it's been a beautiful gift. It's like you had your own back. You, you, you validated yourself. You saw it through for yourself. Yes. Yes. In, a, in the same way that if you and I have been having this conversation, I don't know, two years ago, I can have a different, I can have it in a different way now that I couldn't have then. And that feels really, mm-hmm. really beautiful. Wow. So powerful and inspiring, Liz. Oh, your book is amazing. Uh, it's going to be in the show notes, everybody. Obviously, I definitely recommend you get it, you guys, because I wouldn't have Liz on the show if I didn't. It's called Home to Her, Walking the Transformative Path of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, check out more about con- uh, connecting to your sacred feminine with Liz when she was on my show the first time, episode 70. We get into a whole discussion on that and uh, more powerful stuff. I just, I'm just so grateful to have you on the show. I, I'm so grateful for your contribution to the world. Liz, you are an amazing, um, what's the word, uh, proponent of the feminine voice that, you know, the divine feminine message, the, the history of the, the female lineage, um, in such, such a powerful, but, uh, I'm struggling for the words. I mean, you have such a beautiful, soft-spoken energy to you, a very a, a beautiful gentleness that I think is such a a perfect living example for people of of the feminine. That the feminine can be effective in her messaging, powerful, inspirational, and something worth listening to without being loud, obnoxious, uh, aggressive. You know, this is, I think you are an example of what this is. And this is what people need to see, that we can get our message across, our very important message across without anger, you know, again, without aggression, without stuffing it in people's faces. Um, And you just are a great embodiment of that. And another reason why I wanted to have you on my show. So I'm just grateful for you, my friend. Thank you so much. I love being in conversation with you. And I do want to say too that if just if anyone's listening and, and you are really pissed off about patriarchy and all that, that that's a okay. I mean, I think I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time being sure. really pissed off, and it's it's good. It's good to let that out and to you know like sweat it, dance it, like beat it mm-hmm. out of pillows, like yell it, whatever. You got to feel it to get it out. You can't yeah. just be like, oh, I'm going to be nice like Liz. <laughs> you know, like you got to go through. You got to go through that first. To get it out, to to get to the layer of the okay, now I'm you know, yes. cool, you know, like yeah, no, yes. absolutely. Thank you. That's an important point. Please, I hope nobody misunderstood that. You know, feelings are to be felt, never to be repressed or taught or logically talked your way out of by yourself or others. Feelings have to be respected and felt. Yes, and then, oh, and yes. then they can move. Yeah. Yes. And I just wanted to make it clear too to people that I went through it. Like I had a, a lot of rage, a lot yeah. of rage that I okay. needed to, to be with and to process. Um, mm-hmm. 
I mean, I, that was one of the first emotions that came up when I realized that there was not a sacred fem that as there had not been a sacred feminine presence in my life was like, this is BS. And I'm very, very angry about the fact that I didn't have this in my life. Um, I'll add that I'm right. I'm right with you, sister, because yeah. I was one of those people saying, oh, I'm not angry. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize how damn angry I was, because when I realized how, like you said, her story and like, where are all the women in history? Like, why am I learning about Columbus and, you know, uh, the Caesar of this and the king of that? And it's like, what were women just like the ones doing the laundry? Like, what's going on here? You know, I was pissed. And um, and I like. Um, probably a lot of women that are subscribed to my show had trouble as a young woman um, existing in the world with just so conflicted of like, but I, everyone said, oh, she, she's so strong, you know, it's like, well, but then that was kind of like an undercurrent of it not being a good thing, you know, right. like, and, yeah, like I just was very confused <laughs> and I'm, I'm just working it out now, you know, because, um, and I think that, and I guess that's why I brought up how I think you're a beautiful example. And I'm so glad you said it's only because you worked through the layers of other stuff to get to here. A very important point. A very So you, whoever's listening or watching, be where you are, honor it, and be at 100% so you can then get to the next level. Don't like think, oh, I'm going to, you know just leapfrog to the next level because you're just going to end up going back anyway. You got to go through it. So, yes. And I think there's so many good stories, sacred feminine stories that we won't get into, but, but sacred feminine stories of rageful goddesses. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, I mean, she runs the whole gamut really. You can find, Hallie. yes, you can find Hallie. examples. There's, um, you know, Sekhmet from the Egyptian tradition, who's got a very similar story to Kali. Um, but yes, like rageful goddesses, like vengeful goddesses, like, you know, big emotions, big feelings. These are part of the sacred feminine stories. Righteous anger. Righteous anger is a time and place for anger. Anger is an emotion of action. And, you know, it's, again, I guess it's that righteous, righteous, that value added thing that, you know, I guess you get into some murky water, but hundred percent, there's a time and place for everything. And, uh, no one wants to be a doormat. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. So uh, I think it's just having discretion and wisdom to know when it's appropriate. And, you know, the worst thing you can do is have misappropriated anger. You know, like you yell at, you yell at your dog because you're really mad at your boss type thing. You know, like right. that's not fair to the dog. <laughs> you know what I right. mean? Yeah. Yes, totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. Liz, any final words about your book that I just hope everybody gets because we can't do it justice, you know, given that we've only had about an hour and 20 minute show. But any really just what's on your heart that you really want this message about this book to get out there, please. Well, you know what I, I wanted to do for your and I'm sorry for your listeners, but for your for your viewers, I, I wanted to show the cover of the book because mm -hmm. um, it's gorgeous. I feel like it. So I hope I'm not going to mess my camera up here, but I feel like. It's the gorgeous. cover to me too was, and so I'll describe it for the listeners. It is, um, it's a torso of a woman and um, it, it's, it's very um, textured. So the artist that made it, it is actually a print of, um, she used clay. She dyed clay herself and then coiled it. And she calls these coil drawings. And what she's done is it's this beautiful body of a woman that's mm. the shade of green. And then it's covered with all of these wonderful animals and elements from nature. nature. So mm -hmm. there's a snake in the belly with eggs and a, and a butterfly down in the womb. And there's 
roses um, bees. At, the sol- at the solar plexus with bees and there are hummingbirds at the breast. And it's just, um, I just thought that it was the most perfect I love compliment it. to the content. And it spoke so much to me to who the sacred feminine is, because as we've been talking about the show, she's in the body and she's also in the natural world. And we're one with all of that. So I've got to tell you, Liz, I hate to even say it, but that cover would be a cover I'd have on one of my books that I just love it. I think it's perfect and says so much to the subconscious with all the symbolism in there, with the energy, the art, artistic nature, the, the feminine nature, the, the way that it, it gives the feminine that hourglass that is the feminine and the subconscious, but it, just in a, just a very beautiful, soft way. Um, who is the artist? Her name is Arla Patch, and she's an extraordinary person. And uh, I had so I have a Facebook group, and someone just shared this artwork paired with a quote one day, and I saw it and was like, "Oh my gosh, that's beautiful!" Uh-huh. And so when my publisher and I started brainstorming around cover design ideas, I shared this, and uh, you know, we were both like, "Oh, that's a hundred percent yes." But the artist has to say yes too. And what I loved about her is that she um, requested to read the book before she would allow her art to be on it because she has a very yes. deep relationship with them. She's a co-founder of something called the Coalition of Natives and Allies. And so she does a tremendous amount of work in collaboration with indigenous communities. And she wanted to make sure that there was nothing in the book that she felt like was culturally appropriative. And I mm-hmm. so was so yeah. grateful for that integrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it scared mm-hmm. me a little bit, you know, but I was so grateful for it. It's so grateful that she said yes to have it on the book. So she's wonderful. I interviewed her on my podcast and Ooh. you can, you can hear her talk about it. Um, yeah, she's got, a, she's mm-hmm. just a, an extraordinary person. I'm going to look as I've listened to most of your episodes. I must've missed that one, Arla Patch. And so that she already drew that art piece before she didn't make it for your book. It was already no. created. Wow. She had already made it. And the original sold a while back and now she still sells prints of it. So if you're mm-hmm. interested in the prints, you can find them on Fine Art America without the, the name of the book and stuff on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. And guys, it's just another reason to get it for your coffee table because it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Just beautiful. And I love the spirals and, you know, all oh, the yeah. symbolism of the animals. It's just gorgeous. Such an amazing work. Congratulations on this amazing book. Liz, how can people find the book? And where would you like to direct them to get the book and, and your podcast, which I love, and your website and all that, please? Yes, thank you. So hometoher.com is my website. Uh, but you can buy the book anywhere that you, you buy books. Uh, I've been encouraging people to order it from the publisher or from your local bookshop just to support um, you know, small women-owned businesses like, like my publisher or other local bookshops. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can find it on Amazon, you can get it at Barnes & Noble, you can order it through your local bookstore, you can, you, know, you can find it on Kindle. So there's lots of ways to get it. And, um, and then my podcast is also called Home to Her and you can find that anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, but if you go to my website, you can find a direct link to it too. And then if you are on Facebook, I know a lot of people aren't and I get why, but if you are on Facebook, I have a public community there that's got about 8,000 people in it and um, just exploring the sacred feminine from all different angles. So you're welcome to join that too. And Instagram, I'm on Instagram, home to her. Yes. Oh, so many wonderful contributions that you're reminding me. I really need to write a review for your wonderful book. It's just, uh, I just want to support you in any way I can. Well, thank you. And I would be grateful if people choose to write reviews. That really helps. You know, I think yes. as, as many of you may or may not know, the sacred feminine still isn't 
I told you she's hiding in plain sight everywhere, but it's, she's still not like a, you know, coffee table conversation thing. So any way that we can help get the word out about her, I think is a good thing. There you go. Give her some props. Yeah. Well, again, Liz Childs Kelly, thank you so very much. Everybody, please check that out in the show notes and uh, check her out on Instagram and her wonderful podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, you know what to do. Please consider subscribing, sharing it with a friend. And like Liz, our lifeblood is getting reviews from you guys. So if you want to leave a, a star review or even better, just take two minutes and write a review for me. It's the best way to support me and my show. And I very much appreciate it because we're all in this thing together, walking the path of the sacred feminine. I love it. Liz, thank you so much again. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Would you like to support my mission to help empower people all over the world to be all of who they truly are? If so, please subscribe to the show, leave a review on iTunes, and share it with a friend. And if you're looking to take immediate action to align your energy and optimize your health, visit amyfournier.com. Thanks for listening to Awakening Aphrodite. Let's awaken her together in you. I'm your hostess, Amy Fournier, and I already can't wait to be with you again and for you to hear what I have planned for the next show. Thanks for listening to Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. To learn more about Amy, check out her website, amyfournier.com. That's A-M-Y-F-O-U-R-N-I-E-R.com. You can also check out Amy's live and on-demand virtual fitness and yoga classes and sign up for her newsletter to receive a free mini ebook of three of her top tips for making holistic health a lifestyle. Again, that's amyfournier.com and get your ebook sent to your email immediately. Connect with Amy on the daily on Instagram at FitAmyTV, F-I-T-A-M-Y-T-V, and watch many of the podcast episodes and subtopic clips on her YouTube channel, which is also FitAmyTV. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time on Awakening Aphrodite.